Good morning and welcome. News of great joy. That news is that Jesus Christ, God with us, has come. His life, death, and resurrection has opened the door to our eternal adoption into God's family. Because of this amazing truth, we can say with confidence in every circumstance, why should we on earth be sad since our Redeemer made us glad? Let us have the choir stir these truths in us this morning as we prepare to worship.
Our communion reflection this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, considering him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that we do not grow weary or lose heart. One of the things we do as believers here at Wheaton Bible Church is to joyfully celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross and to celebrate in anticipation of his return here on earth. If you're a Christian, communion is a celebration for you. If you're not a Christian yet, I'm going to ask you to wait and observe but we would love to help you get to know Jesus more. And so as we prepare for the communion table, the Bible calls us to examine our hearts. I'm going to ask you to take the next minute just to silently reflect before we celebrate together. So go ahead and bow your heads and reflect. Amen. Go ahead and take your communion cups with me and uh, carefully open the bottom of the cups to reveal the bread. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was portrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the bread. Now carefully open the tops. I know we have nice Christmas sweaters on today. He continues on and says this. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mm. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your Son, not Christmas, 
that he would die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we joyfully celebrate that work today. And Lord, we joyfully await your return. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. And continue to celebrate. in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear and the angel said to them fear not 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This third week of Advent, we turn our focus to joy. Words like joy, joyful, rejoice, glad, and gladness appear over 500 times in the Bible. Our God is a joyful God, a God full of joy. Our gospel is good news of great joy. The Savior is born. God is with us. Jesus himself is our reason for joy, not favorable or happy circumstances, not the abundance of material things, but the absence, nor the absence of adversity or suffering in this life. We are able to be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, because our joy is ultimately not dependent on anything but Christ himself and what he has already done for us. He has taken away our sin and given us eternal life. We're no longer slaves and spiritual orphans, but children of God. He has given us his Holy Spirit And now we are one with him forever. Psalm 1611 tells us that in his presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. as we light the third Advent candle and remember that God sent his Son to the world so that we may have true and eternal joy in him.
Wasn't that a joyful sound? I always love this time of year where our kids get to be involved in our services and, and get to sing praises alongside of us. Well, good morning. I, I am so excited to welcome you to Wheaton Bible Church this morning and worshiping with us. And I want to begin as we continue our worship to call our ushers to the front. Just as a reminder, as we prepare our hearts to give, you can give in a variety of ways. You can give online at wheatonbiblechurch.org slash give. You can give in the plates as they're passed, or you can send your offering to the office of the church. Ushers, would you pass the plates for us? This week is fully loaded as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our king. And if you don't know what's going on, you need to get connected with us. And so we'd encourage you to scan the codes in the back sides of your seats and sign up for our weekly e-news 27W. This makes sure that you don't miss out on any of the fun that we're going to have this week as a church family. Reminder, next week as we celebrate Christmas with friends and families, we get to take part in giving and receiving gifts. And so as you gather around your tree and express your love for one another through all the gifts you give, we can begin to think through the pleasure of giving at Christmas. And this beautifully models for us a kind of joyful giving that also pleases the heart of our Heavenly Father. We anticipate the loved one's delight as they open the gifts that they have wrapped. And we love to watch the faces of little ones as they enjoy the gifts that we've given. This year, though, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, and we have the privilege to respond together as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Jesus coming to earth, born as a baby in Bethlehem. As a church that practices generosity, we want to use this example of Christ to guide our own generous thoughts and giving through our tithes and offerings. So as you prepare to join us for our Christmas Eve services on Saturday and Sunday, what a wonderful opportunity it is to both engage ourselves and our children in bringing a special gift as we attend the candlelight services together. God loves to see a cheerful giver. And God loves when we cheerfully support the work of our church. Let's pause and pray for the giving of our offering as well as for the word that comes this morning. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we recognize that we give only because you gave first. You gave the gift of your son, and we celebrate that at this time of year. The most precious gift of all. And Lord, would you continue to cultivate within our hearts a heart of generosity, not for our own well-being, but Lord, for your kingdom purposes. Lord, we are thankful for all that you've given us this year. We are thankful for all that you have done through the work and ministry of this church this year. And Lord, we look forward to celebrating your birth this weekend. Lord, as we prepare to hear your word this morning, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to listen 
May our hearts overflow with rejoicing as we hear the truth of your word. And Lord, may we walk away this week joyfully waiting to celebrate your birth. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again uh, to Wheaton Bible Church, and we're excited to have you here this morning. My name is Brent Sickle, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We are in our third week of our Advent series, Sing a New Song. And throughout this series, we have been in the book of Psalms as we sing our way through Christmas. We've realized that songs are are a powerful tool, not just in storytelling, but as we have seen this season of Advent through Scripture, they're used to sing ourselves into believing. And today, as we have lit the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy, we're going to be looking at Psalm 16 to understand what joy means. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? We're in Psalm chapter 16. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, you are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures as your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we look at Psalm 16 this morning, just as we have all throughout this series, we will be answering these three questions. What is joy? Why joy now? And why joy at Advent? So what is joy? Why joy now? And why joy at Advent? Let's begin with looking at what is joy. At Christmas time, there are all sorts of songs that we sing, and so many of them are about joy. 
But more importantly, most, if not all, are meant to be sung with joy or elicit joy as we sing. So we all must know what joy is, right? Do we all know what joy is? Okay, okay, okay. I need you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, do you know what joy is? Go ahead. Man, we're getting some pretty lengthy answers there. People are already answering what joy is. We have to answer this question, though. What is joy? Well, as always, we we go to Webster first, right? Webster knows everything about language. And so we ask Webster to define joy for us. And this is what the dictionary says. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or fortune. It also says it's the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what we desire. It's a state of happiness, a source or cause of delight, or joy can mean to experience great pleasure or delight. Sounds like a decent definition, right? Maybe. Well, this morning I want to argue that biblical joy is more than this. Biblical joy is more than a happy feeling or experience of delight. This morning as we look at God's Word, we're going to see that joy is deeply rooted in who God is. It's an lasting emotion that comes from the choice to trust God and that He will fulfill His promises. Joy actually goes beyond an emotion. It is an enduring attitude of our hearts connected directly to our relationship with Jesus Christ. However, human history as well as our own experience has shown us that life isn't always easy or happy. The biblical story reminds us that we live in a world that's corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of our happy circumstances, but because of our hope in God's love and His promises. Joy is talked a lot about in the Bible. Right? All throughout Scripture, in the Bible, there are almost 200 references to joy. If you search and you love to do those word studies and, and you add rejoicing to that, you get a, another 150 references. All throughout Scripture, God himself is joyful and embodies what true joy is. God rejoices over his creative works in Psalm 104. God rejoices over his people in Isaiah 65. In Luke 15, Jesus tells us three stories that each culminate in God rejoicing over sinners who repent. Look with me as a brief overview of what we see in Scripture. Psalm 92, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by the work of your hands. 
At the work of your hands I sing for joy. Isaiah 35. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. John 16, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. Acts 13, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul in Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you loved him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, all throughout the pages of Scripture, we're called to rejoice or feel or to have joy in God. The sad thing is, so many times we equate joy with just happiness. But I want us to see the two drastically different things. You see, when it comes to life, happiness happens to us. And even though our world, our culture, and everything we do says that we should seek happiness, desire it, pursue it, the reality it is, happiness is always dependent on our circumstances. But Scripture talks to us and says that joy, on the other hand, is dependent solely on God. Happiness doesn't bring joy, and joy isn't the byproduct of happiness. Joy is something greater and grander. And when we find joy all throughout Scripture, we see it infused with comfort and wrapped in peace. Joy is also one of the key characteristics seen in the life of a Christian, right? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit cultivated through the Spirit's presence in our lives. So you see, we don't make ourselves joyful so much as we experience joy as we encounter God's presence in our lives. This is so true because we have been designed for joy. I love to read different books, and uh, there was an interesting book that came out uh, a few years ago called The Other Half of the Church. And this book is walking through and describing uh, how science and brain science is connected with Scripture. So the things we see God talk about how He created us in Scripture are now being proven in many different venues by science. And one of those things that uh, comes up in this book is it says that science has discovered many correlations between how our brain works and how our brain works with joy. And as I read this, I'm like, yeah, God said this for years. But we're figuring this out now and actually seeing how it spurs our brain to think and interact. And we see this here in Psalm 16. 
Psalm 16 says this very thing. Our psalm we read today speaks directly to this. God has designed us for joy. So if, you're, if you have your Bible still open, look back at verse 9. And we'll begin there and finish out the end of this psalm. And I want us to see how Scripture speaks to joy. Verse 9, it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David, in his psalm, attaches his experience of joy to the presence of God. But I want you to understand it's even more than presence. If we go back and we look at the original Hebrew and we see how it's actually translated, it can be translated to say, you fill me with abundance of joy in your face. Okay, English that doesn't really come out really well. When we say in your face, that's normally a confrontational term. But I want us to see here in Psalms, in Scripture, in Hebrew, it's a very personal term. We see this uh, show up again in Psalm chapter 21 where David says, You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Again, this is rendered in the Hebrew to say, You make him happy with joy with your face. What I want us to understand here is God just doesn't want to be in the general area with us. He wants to be face-to-face with us. And he delights in us the way a father does as he looks at the face of his child. Right? As a dad, if I want to get my child's attention, I grab their face and I look them in the eyes. And they can see the love I have for them. And God is saying this same thing right here. He wants to see us face to face. And when we look in the face of our Father, we experience a fullness of joy. God designed facial recognition circuitry into our brains and linked it to joy. Think about it this way. I come home after a long day of work and I walk through the door into the kitchen and my wife's face lights up as she sees me. And this in turn initiates a joyful chain reaction in my brain and in my heart that I can feel in my body, and my face lights up to see her as well. Anybody else have emotions like that with their spouse? All hands should be raised, right? (laughs) Brain science has revealed what Scripture has already foretold, that our brain looks specifically to the face of another person to find joy. It fills up our emotional gas tank. Scripture's telling us that the face of God is key. God's presence is directly connected with joy, but more specifically, seeing his face fills us with a fullness of joy. 
So as we look at joy, we need to understand that joy is transmitted through the face. It's relational. It's important to God. It's important to our relationship with God because how he created us. And so we can only experience true joy, not only in the presence of God, but in the face of God. Is that a greater and grander definition of joy than what Webster has? Amen, right? So if we understand now a little bit of of what joy is, why do we talk about joy now? The reality is Christmas isn't always a festive season. Whether it's the absence of loved ones, the heartache of broken relationships, the toll of chronic suffering, or the unending battle against sin. It's not uncommon for many of us to end the year on a weary, joyless note. So what does the Lord offer those of us who barely make it to the finish line at the end of the year? We look back at Scripture And he promises everlasting joy. The struggle, though, is how often we're robbed of joy when we believe that God sent his son at Christmas. We believe that he sent Jesus to the cross to purchase our our pardon, but foolishly fear he won't meet it in our everyday struggles. Just as we see in Scripture, as I read, brain science also concludes that joy is crucial for our emotional and relational development. The Bible serves as a roadmap in showing us how we can handle our emotions in hard times and stay connected in relationship. And all of this has a direct connection and correlation with joy. The reality is joy transforms our emotions. It transforms our emotions from sighing and sorrow to singing and rejoicing. We see this over and over again all throughout the Psalms. Joy does this because joy is not strictly a singular emotion by itself, but it's a super emotion that goes on top or connects with the other emotions we're experiencing in our lives. And because of this, when we experience true joy from God, it helps us to regulate our emotions and endure suffering that we experience all throughout our lives. The Christmas of 2020 was exceptionally hard for me. I know it was hard for all of us, right? But I felt it was exceptionally hard for me because I experienced both the grief and the joy of losing my grandfather that fall. My grandfather, who I affectionately call Bapa, was an integral part of my life. He was not only my grandfather, he was the one who taught me how to play tennis. He was the one who set the example for me because my grandparents were missionaries to Guinea, West Africa. 
He was an example for me as a pastor, as a mentor, and a friend. One of the most influential people in my spiritual journey was my grandfather. The struggle was, throughout that time, after my grandmother had passed, my grandfather started forgetting many things. Sometimes it was hard to have conversations with him. Sometimes he would forget who we were. But I remember the only thing he never forgot, and that was who his Savior was. Even in the waning moments of his life, and in periods where we'd get little bits of lucidity, he always talked about his Savior. And so that Christmas after he passed, I grieved the loss of a man who loved me and who was highly influential in my own faith and called a ministry. But I rejoiced in knowing he was with his Savior, experiencing his perfected body and mind. Joy does that for us when connected in our relationship with God. You see, joy doesn't eliminate sorrow or grief, but transforms them. Joy does not replace the unpleasant emotions. Instead, it combines with our emotions that keep us relationally connected with God, especially in times of distress. Joy not only transforms our emotions, but it transforms our relationships. You see, joy is experienced in relationship. As we abide in Christ and lean on God, especially as we walk through the hard times in our lives, our relationship is transformed through joy. Psalms 30 verse 11 says this, You have turned for me, God, my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Paul says this in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Joy transforms our relationships as we abide in Christ. John Piper says this about joy. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in his word and in our world. Maybe you're wrestling through a time that feels joyless as we head into Christmas. Maybe you need the transformative power of joy in your life in your emotions, in your relationships this season. So we've looked at what is joy. We've looked at why we need joy now, but why do we get to experience joy at Advent? Just as we sang this morning, our third Advent song we see and find in Luke directly connects Jesus' coming to a celebration of joy. The angel's song announces that the Messiah brings joy in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. 
It reads, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shined around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The angel's song, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This announcement from the angels is a new way that has been never experienced by God's people before. If you read all throughout the Old Testament, there are many places, times, and ways that the people of God could approach God. But the joy of Christmas is not that a man approached God, but that God approached us. Jesus, the Son of God, the same God who was hidden behind a thick veil at the temple's curtain, was now outside of the veil, seen brightly in the face of this little baby at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus came on a mission of joy, a mission to give his people an experience of life beyond anything they'd experienced before and are greater than they are capable of by themselves. The angels weren't the only ones who knew this mission. Jesus knew this mission clearly himself and says this in John. John chapter 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus continues in John chapter 15, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is deeply concerned that his people are joyful. So much so that he was willing to endure our pain in fragile human existence in order to purchase true joy once and for all. Peter himself includes Psalm 16 in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. There he teaches that this psalm is about Messiah, Jesus. And just as we looked at verses 9 through 11, he does as well, and he reveals to the crowd that David is not speaking of himself, but of one of his descendants. David's statement is based on the oath of the covenant promised to him that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. Peter shares with the people that David was prophetically speaking about the resurrection of Jesus. And so we see that Jesus' birth is not the sole reason for joy. 
It is his death and resurrection that brings lasting joy in the life of those who believe. Robert Murray McShay says this, the truest, purest joy flows from a discovery of Jesus Christ. He is the hidden treasure that gives such joy to the finder. You see, at Christmas, there are lots of ways that we can measure how joyful our Christmas holiday was. Maybe it's the number of presents that were given. Maybe it was the number of presents received. Maybe it's the number of of parties that you were able to attend or, for some, the many naps that were taken. But I want to suggest one unchanging, ever-faithful metric to look at our Christmas with. Have you experienced the joy of knowing Jesus? Have you experienced the joy of knowing Jesus? Has the reality of what Jesus accomplished through his birth, life, death, and resurrection for you entered your heart in a way that squeezes out sin and its attempt to make you satisfied with the lesser joys in life. We know the greatest gift we can have this Advent season is not the presence under the tree, but the joyful presence of God in our lives. The joy-filled gift of God with us is the gift that we will enjoy for all eternity. And it starts this Christmas with us in our church, in our homes, in our hearts. Jude says this, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you. And Lord, you know our hearts. You know the things that are on our minds, the worries, the emotions, the relationships, the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season. And all of these things rob us of the joy we have in you. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of what biblical true joy looks like today from your word. That joy comes from being face-to-face in your presence. Lord, as we prepare in this last week to celebrate your birth, would you fill our hearts to overflowing with your joy?
May we rest and abide in you. Lord, give us a a new joy if we don't know you. Lord, that we might experience the fullness of joy in our lives and its transformative power. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for how you created us. We thank you for your son that you sent. And now we sing songs rejoicing you. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's stand together to respect. I have just a few important notes for next Sunday. Reminder that there is no Sunday morning service next Sunday. Instead, we want to invite you to join us on either the 23rd or the 24th as we celebrate Christmas Eve together. If you do show up uh, Sunday the 24th, you get to worship by yourself. (laughs) We also uh, ask as you're thinking about the season and you're thinking about maybe a neighbor or a friend or a relative that you want to invite, please make sure you pick up some of the invitation cards on your way out. It has all of the information about our service times, and they're a great way to either stick in someone's mailbox or leave on the door or mail to them so they could join us uh, for our services. Now let's receive the benediction that God has for us. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.